everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. And here we are, (laughs) two more weeks into, I don't even know what to call it, unbelievable. Every day, something that is truly unbelievable happens. And yet, I remind myself that I have said this before. And not only have I said this before, but people have said this before. Ancestors, our ancestors said this. And so I'm constantly returning to that little piece of advice that I gathered from Joanna Macy, who said that we need to inhabit larger fields of time. We need to take the long view, in other words, and turning to our myths and our old stories is one way to do this. Almost every day I am riding a wave, maybe you are too, a wave of joy and despair. And I'm inspired by the courage, the creativity, the love, and the humor of women, women around the world. So I give thanks. I give thanks every day for my sisters, for all you nasty women out there, and for the men who love and support them. Now, in the last program, I shared a Norwegian fairy tale called Prince Lindworm. In this story, a queen makes a mistake, gives birth to a lindworm, which is a kind of small dragon, and this lindworm then eats a series of princesses, a series of princess brides, until a peasant maid who follows the advice of an old crone uh, subjects him to an interesting process of transformation. A key component of this process of transformation is that she embrace him in all of his hideousness. Of course, he's physically repulsive, and he's also emotionally, mentally, spiritually repulsive. And today I want to tell you another story about another type of lindworm, a courageous woman, and this mysterious transformative power of embracing the unembraceable, holding in our arms the truly horrible and repulsive. This story is called Sir Gawain and Lady Ragnell, and this time the challenge of the unembraceable is met by a young man, the knight Sir Gawain. This version of the story is drawn from a cycle of stories about King Arthur and his court from the 15th century. And this story is only one of many loathly, that is, ugly, horrible, lady tales that were popular during the Middle Ages. An earlier version of this story appears in The Wife of Bath's Tale, in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, for example. And this was a time this was a time of troubadours, chivalry, and courtly love. And these were radical ideas, radical ideas that gave birth to subversive institutions, because they were explorations of two important ideas. 
ideas that are just as important to us today. One, that each person has the right to think for herself or himself, to weigh personal experience and question authority. And two, that each of us has the right to love whoever and whatever moves our hearts. I want to invite you to listen to this story of Sir Gawain and Lady Ragnall on two levels. As a story about the necessary partnership between actual women and men as gendered individuals in society, and as a description of the inner union that each of us must work to attain to be fully ourselves, a union between feminine and masculine, between the outer persona, the ego, and our inner ugliness and wounds. So with that context, let me move on to the story. Let yourself relax and pay special attention to the moment that catches your attention. This is a clue to your relationship to this story right now. Sir Gawain and the Lady Ragnall One day, King Arthur was out hunting. He followed a great white stag to the edge of the oak woods, and there was a powerful chieftain, a big burly guy, swinging a great broad sword. Greetings, King Arthur, the man said. I am Sir Gromer, and you have taken some of my northern lands. So tell me, is there any reason why I should not just cut you down on this spot? I am unarmed, said Arthur. You wouldn't kill a man without a fair fight. Well, that's true enough, Gromer replied. I will show you mercy today, but you owe me your life, so you must meet my challenge. In exactly one year, you must return to this spot unarmed with the correct answer to the question I pose. If you do not have the right answer, I will kill you. Okay, Arthur said. What's the question? What do women desire above all else? Said Gromer. This has got to be a joke, right? Said Arthur. No one can answer that question. He was convinced that this was a trick. But Gromer would not be shaken. That was the question. What do women desire above all else? So the two parted. Arthur rode home to his castle, very discouraged. When he got back, Arthur told the entire story of this encounter to his nephew, Sir Gawain. Sir Gawain was known as the wisest and bravest and most courteous of all of the knights of the round table. And he was very loyal to his uncle, the king. I'm doomed, Arthur told him. But Gawain was hopeful. We have an entire year to question everyone in the kingdom, he said. Surely we'll find someone who knows the answer to this riddle. For the next year, Arthur and Gawain traveled around the kingdom, posing this question to the men and women that they met. And they collected many answers and wrote them down in two big books. The year was almost over, and the pages were full, but Arthur had the feeling that he had not yet 
really found the right answer, and he was close to despair. One morning, he rode out alone through the meadows and the purple heather, deep in thought about his predicament, and at the very edge of the oak woods, a grotesque large woman stepped out and confronted him. She was a really horrible sight. Her skin was red and coarse. Her hair was lank. She had long yellow teeth. And she was covered with warts. And she was almost as wide as she was tall. This hideous woman fearlessly stepped towards the king and said, You are King Arthur. And in two days, you must meet Sir Gromer with an answer to a question. Yes, said King Arthur, but how do you know that? I am Lady Ragnell, and Sir Gromer is my stepbrother, she said. You don't have the right answer, do you? Well, I have many answers, said Arthur, and I really don't see how this matter concerns you. And he gathered up his reins and turned his horse to ride home. You do not have the right answer said Ragnell, and her tone made him pause for just a moment. I have the answer, she said. Now Arthur turned around and got off of his horse. Tell me the answer, and I'll give you a large bag of gold. I have no use for gold, she replied. Nonsense, woman. You can buy anything you want with gold. Or maybe you want land, or a fine castle. Whatever you want, I will pay you. That is, if you have the right answer. Oh, I know the answer. I can promise you that, she said. Then tell me what it will take to get you to share it with me. Hmm, she said. Well, I demand in return that Sir Gawain become my husband. (gasps) That's impossible. You ask the impossible woman said the king. I cannot give you my nephew. He's his own man. He's not mine to give you. I didn't ask you to give me the knight, Gawain, she said. If Gawain agrees to marry me of his own free will, then I will give you the answer. Those are my terms. Terms, said Arthur. What right do you have to give me terms? I am the king, and this is impossible. I mean, I... I could never bring him such a ridiculous proposal. Lady Ragnell listened to him rant and fume, and she stood there calmly and then said, If you change your mind, I'll be here tomorrow. And then she disappeared back into the woods. King Arthur was shaken by this strange encounter, and he rode home at a slow pace thinking that he could never speak to Gawain of this matter. That woman was piteous, loathsome, and how dare she ask for the finest knight in the kingdom in marriage. But his fateful meeting with Gromer was weighing on him pretty heavily, and so when he returned to the castle, he found himself telling his nephew about his adventure and the loathsome Lady Ragnell. 
He couldn't bring himself to mention her proposal, though. He left that part out. I'm sure she knows the answer, Arthur told his nephew, but I really didn't intend to tell you any of this anyway. Gawain was confused. Oh, I I don't understand, he said. I mean, this sounds like good news, uncle. Why are you so discouraged? Arthur could not look Gawain in the face. And he finally said, Okay, Lady Ragnall has said that she'll give me the answer as long as you marry her of your own free will, which, of course, you don't want to do because she's horrible. And he went on to describe the lady's grotesque face, her warty skin, and bulging sighs. Gawain listened to all of this, and then he said, It's fortunate that I can save your life. And over his uncle's protests, said, It's my decision. I'm going to return with you tomorrow and agree to the marriage on the condition that her answer saves your life. Early the next morning, Gawain rode out with Arthur to meet the Lady Ragnell. She was truly loathsome, but Gawain did not betray his disgust. He bowed to her courteously and said, If tomorrow your answer saves the king's life, we shall be wed. At this, Ragnell beckoned to Arthur, and when he bent down, she whispered the answer into his ear. The next day, the fateful day, Gawain rode with Arthur to the edge of the oak wood, and the king assured him that he would try all of the other answers that they had collected first. And then he rode on alone to his meeting with the chieftain. Gromer was waiting for Arthur, his broad sword gleaming in the sun. And Arthur got off his horse and got out the two big books and started to read the answers they'd collected, one after another. What a woman desires above all else is admiration, he said. No, said Gromer. What a woman desires above all else is fine clothes and jewelry. No, said Gromer. What a woman desires above all else is a fine house with servants. No, said Gromer. A lusty man. No, a lusty man on a Hawaiian vacation. No. Arthur read through his list, and Gromer shouted, No, no, no. And at last he raised his sword high over his head. You don't know the answer, he cried. Wait, wait, said Arthur. I have one more answer. What a woman desires above all else is sovereignty the right to exercise her own free will. Damn! Gromer dropped his sword to his side. You didn't find that answer out on your own. My cursed stepsister Ragnell gave it to you. Well, I must let you go unharmed, but when I find her, I will run her through with my sword. Then he turned and plunged back into the forest, shouting angrily. Arthur returned to where Gawain waited with the Lady Ragnell. 
All three of them rode back to the castle in silence, and only Lady Ragnall seemed to be in good spirits. The news spread quickly through the castle that a bizarre wedding was to take place between an ugly hag and the magnificent Gawain. No one could imagine what had persuaded Gawain to marry this creature. Some thought she must possess great lands and wealth. Others thought that she must have some secret magic. But most people were just stunned at the fate of poor Gawain. King Arthur drew his nephew aside. A postponement might be in order, he said. We could try and put this off. I gave her my promise, uncle, said the knight. Would you have me break my word? And so, wedding preparations commenced immediately. Lady Ragnell wanted a big wedding and a fine wedding feast. So the wedding took place in the abbey, and the feast was held before the entire court. The lady gobbled her food and guzzled her wine and belched and slobbered, and other people at the tables were revolted. But Gawain remained pleasant and courteous and paid kind attention to his bride. Finally, the festivities were over, and the wedding couple retired to their bedchamber. The young knight was a bit pale, and his hands shook just a little. You have kept your promise well and faithfully, Lady Ragnall said. Come kiss me, now that we are wedded. Gawain went to her at once. His stomach was churning, but he looked into her eyes, and he glimpsed a sadness in their depths that stirred his compassion, and he gave her a tender kiss. My husband, the lady murmured in a soft voice that he didn't recognize. Gawain suddenly realized that the woman in his embrace was not as wide as she was tall. He opened his eyes and took a step back. There was a beautiful woman with a smiling face. Who are you? he said in amazement. Where is Lady Ragnell? I am she, said the beautiful lady. My stepbrother Gromer hates me because I would not bend to his will. He obtained knowledge of sorcery and used it to change me into a monstrous hag until the finest knight in Britain willingly chose me as his bride. With great admiration, Gawain said, Then you have won, and his evil spell is broken. Only in part, my dear Gawain, Ragnall said, I can only be beautiful half of the time. You have a choice of which way I will be. Would you have me beautiful at night in our chamber and ugly in front of the court during the day? Fair by night or fair by day, think carefully before you choose. Gawain thought for a moment. Then he knelt down before his bride and said, It is a choice I cannot make. It concerns you, my dear lady, and whatever you choose, I will willingly abide by it. Ragnall released a long, deep breath. You have answered well, dearest Gwaine. 
your answer has broken Gromer's evil spell completely. You have given me what women desire above all else, the right to exercise my own free will. And so in wonder and joy, the marriage of Sir Gawain and Lady Ragnell began. We know that we live in a patriarchal society. It's no great mystery. But if you're like me, you may be feeling particularly sensitive to that fact right now. Patriarchy creates the conditions under which this story, all of our stories really, have been shaped. And it's easy to resent the fact that she must ask for something so fundamental and that he has the power to withhold or grant it. But in that reaction to the story, in the necessity of that transaction, we recognize the problem that is the heart of the story. We feel how important it is that this relationship be transformed into one that is mutually respectful, a partnership, a partnership that's made possible through courageous empathy. Let's think for just a moment about the king and this notion of sovereignty. Sovereignty, autonomy. Autonomy and also being the supreme power over the body politic, so to speak. The king is in charge. And we see that the king doesn't understand women. He doesn't understand the feminine. Now, as subjects of the patriarchy, as members of our 21st century version of this, each of us is likely dominated to some degree by our king, by our ordered, culturally conditioned masculine power. And this can lead us to do things that are not in our best self-interest to support an avowed misogynist, for example, to believe promises made by someone who is completely untrustworthy. But whether you're a man or a woman, you need this union. You need this partnership between these two aspects of self. Now, I asked you to think about this story on two levels. As a gendered person acting in society, showing up in our community, in our nation, and also on the level of your own psyche, the players in your own psyche. So let's think about the king a little bit more from both of those perspectives, holding both of those in mind. Who is your king? What is your king like? Is your king overly concerned with outer forms? Is he a tyrant? Does he act without introspection? Introspection and thought and receptivity being qualities of the feminine. And is your king cut off from the deep feminine, from Mother Earth and the realities of life and death that she holds? It is interesting and not a mere detail of the story that Arthur's search For the answer to the question, what do women really want, is motivated by the prospect of his death. (laughs) Gromer, as playing the role of the lindworm, perhaps, 
appears and poses this question to him, and he's got to find the answer or else he's going to die. There are a couple of other aspects of the story that point us in the direction of a necessary quest. He's out hunting. He follows a white stag. And white animals suggest the supernatural. They are a bridge between the earthly and spiritual realms. So the king is out alone hunting, and he's looking for the other, which in the case of the king would be the feminine. It's also interesting to me that both Gromer, this imperative, inner imperative, that comes in the form of a threat of death, and Lady Ragnell, who in appearing as the hag, as the crone, as the ugly woman, mirrors or reflects this theme of Mother Earth. Both of them appear at the edge of the wood, at the edge of the oak wood. And oaks and woods, once again, are associated in Celtic mythology. And that is the mythology behind the stories of King Arthur with the goddess. One other little piece on that theme in Celtic mythology, the way that a king is made and his authority sanctified is through the action of the archetypal feminine. In other words, a king, a true king, is a whole being, one who has achieved this inner union of the masculine and the feminine. One other question that this story poses for me is the question of what is ugly? What is ugly? What is loathsome? What do we want to reject? What makes this union with the feminine so hard? Because let's face it, if King Arthur would have been approached by a gorgeous, beautiful young maiden who also happened to have the answer to his question, we would have had a very different story. But part of the challenge of accepting the feminine is its outward ugliness. And that is a cultural thing. (laughs) So what is ugly? What makes it hard? I wonder if it might be the lies that we tell ourselves about our invincibility. I wonder if it might be the lies that we tell each other about our sources of power, sources of power that are cut off from feeling, relation, thought, introspection, and the earth itself. The earth shows us that the natural way of things is cycles, for example, That stands in direct contrast to the cultural message of grow, 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 work, 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 onward, onward, onward. We can see that our obsession with constant growth is killing us. And if we followed the example of the earth, we would know this. The earth and the cycles of the earth also carry the constant reminder of death. And this is another thing that very few of us want to turn and face directly. The more I think about this, the more I wonder if it isn't the connection, the embodiment of the mysteries of life and death 
contained in the feminine and in the form of actual women that frightens the king. That is the patriarchy the most. All food for thought. I invite you to take your version of these questions to heart and to consider contemplating them in the outdoors someplace, somewhere where you can receive the support and the messages from the natural world. I do encourage you to think about these stories as metaphors, metaphors that therefore then carry a mutable and lasting meaning. They also point to the realities of where we gather insights and have particular types of experiences. So maybe you'll take your king into nature this week with these questions. What do you have to lose? Not much. And we all have everything, everything to gain. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And if you're finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs archived there, free downloads of everything new that I create, and you'll play an essential role in making future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Thank you.